0: The Guardian.
1: The Guardian has partnered with Audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one month, no commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to Guardian.co.uk slash Audible for further details. I'm John Plunkett, and on this week's Media Talk, The BBC advertises for a new director general. We put the job description, it's quite long, under the microscope and ask what it tells us about the identity of Mark Thompson's successor. Plus, read all about it. What chances for a new Sunday tabloid being planned by a former Sunday Express editor and ex-ITV exec? Also, it's Danny Cohen 1, Simon Cowell nil in the Battle of the Saturday Night Talent Shows. And we get the Appy Habit, yes, with an idiot's guide to Instagram, or $1 billion of it, and ask why Spotify has pressed the play button. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. I'm joined by Ollie Mann, one half of the Sony Award podcast Answer Me This and media journalist and media talk favourite Maggie Brown. Well, you're all our favourites, obviously. And Guardian TV editor Vicky Frost will be joining us later. Welcome all. First up, it's time to talk BBC DG. The BBC published the job spec for the role this week, which, among other things, told us that the successful candidate need not have been a journalist or a programme maker, but that an international and multimedia mindset were essential. It also said that commercial acumen would be nice to have, but not necessarily must have. Um, Maggie, the headhunters took their time coming up with this job spec. What did you make of it?
0: I was pretty surprised, to be honest with you. I haven't seen anything like this, and I've covered quite a few changes of director generals. Uh, I, I, this divided into two areas. This is the other interesting thing as well. There are seven areas where it's good to be competent, or you have to be competent, and then there are these other five areas where you have to have experience, like leadership. Uh, I, I think it's very strange that editorial experience is not one of the absolute essentials. It's it's the nice to have, the same as commercial experience, nice to have. Uh, I would have thought that since the uh, Director General is not only Editor-in-Chief, but in a hierarchy sort of sets basically the kind of, uh, the, the whole sort of ethos of the place, um, a, 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 an organisation which is actually about making content uh, in, di- in different forms uh, is actually really at the end of it, it stands or falls on its editorial. So that's very strange. The other thing I thought about it, actually, as I read it, and I I also uh, downloaded the very detailed uh, description, was that uh, I I think it's it's an invitation to maybe a tiny band of possibly talented outsiders to throw their hats in the ring uh, and compete to be director-general of the BBC. I didn't think that this particular set of qualities necessarily fitted anyone who uh, was actually within the BBC, one of the favourites, one of the uh, four or five at the top.
1: So you think he's opening up the field and also I perhaps? Do. Um, and does it um, raise the chances of someone uh, entering the ring that, that perhaps we hadn't considered before?
0: Yes, it does. Um, I mean, I, I, I know i raised this a wild card Ed Richards, the chief uh, executive of uh, Ofcom, uh, when we first heard that Mark Thompson was indeed uh, going to be leaving. Uh, it, some of the things that you need to have here, including um, an ability to change organisations, to understand technology, to uh, be very good at strategy, etc., etc., look forward to the next ten to fifteen years. Those are things that actually um, fit him pretty well. Plus, of course, he has any very, very minor experience of programme making uh, when he started his career as an independent. Uh, the, and another
1: non-programme like maybe another, Stephen Carter, perhaps.
0: Yes, possibly. I mean, with this uh, understanding of technology, and of course, he's working in Paris at the moment. For Alcatel. And uh, he has worked in the commercial world at J. Walter Thompson, which he ran for a number of years successfully. So that's the commercial side uh, squared off. Leadership, he definitely had that too. Um, And, you know, he had qualities of thinking extremely, maybe too strategically, about things like, you know, the digital economy. So yes, there's that possibility. I, I think also You have to say David Abraham, who is the chief executive of Channel 4, um, has got another one of the areas, I mean, this understanding of digital strategy, which is important, and, uh, you know, experience from, again, outside of the UK. I find it very hard to imagine that anybody who... Uh, isn't actually British would get this job.
1: That would be
2: horrifying, wouldn't it? If that <laughs> it actually would, happened.
0: Well, just because it's a British institution. Just because
2: it just—I mean—I know these things are all in there. You know that it's all about public service and it's about reflecting Britain above all else. But you also—they say—it would, would be nice to have an international outlook. But I mean, that's so paramount, you know. And if you look at what Mark Thompson's got wrong, it, the kind of the kind of person who might think about shutting Six Music and the Asian Network is exactly the wrong kind of person that you want to be director general because you want someone who absolutely celebrates the things that only the BBC would do on a commercial basis and it doesn't seem like this is really preventing that sort of issue happening again.
0: No and I think also it's not actually there but you do have to have a quite, I don't know what the word is, a real understanding of popular culture as well as highbrow culture. It's all very well uh, that to, to say that the BBC, of course, takes the higher ground and is a public service broadcaster, but it can't get so far ahead of its audience uh, and, and make decisions which may look good on paper but are actually rather crass when it comes to the way that people actually use media, even now. Uh, that that would be that that would really be um, uh, the wrong kind of person as well. So I I I'm, I watch with interest. the The, the deadline is uh, the seventh of May, and no latecomers will be countenanced. It's this rather bossy. I saw that. Indeed, very bossy. It's it's a world away. It's a world away from the the way in which Mark Thompson was approached in a sort of panic by uh, Michael Grade as they tried to basically, uh, uh, I, I suppose, um, save the BBC from disintegration at the top after the Hutton report had seen the dispatch of both chairman and and, and, and director general in in a very traumatic period. So, uh, well,
1: well, Maggie, let's have a look. We'll see uh, what some people were saying about this on the on the on the Guardian website. Uh, They're not entirely easy to pronounce Uh, I think it's Nothie C. Orton said uh, Going by past experience, the successful candidate Also needs to come from a privileged background Be a former public schoolboy or possibly girl A graduate (laughs) from Oxbridge and occasionally watch TV And listen to the wireless But this is entirely optional Uh, Ollie, what, what a cynic Uh, Well, sort of, I guess. I I mean, the thing is, Tim Davies actually been, you know, pretty successful,
2: hasn't he? Running the the audio bit. And he came from a a corporate background. So I suppose in a way they're trying to nullify criticism of that by saying they're prepared to have. He was Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, sure. But they're trying to say, you know, we're welcoming people from slightly outside the circle because it is working. And it is a sort of political position, isn't it? I mean, the editorial thing, actually, for me, unlike you, Maggie, doesn't concern me too much because I've never heard anyone say yeah this was Mark Thompson's idea this great you know, runaway BBC 1 rating success or BBC 4 foreign TV acquisition was Mark Thompson's idea, no one's ever said that uh, he, he's basically there to give speeches and meet politicians and press flesh and if that's what that is, that's fine by me because it's a layer between politicians interfering with the actual programme makers who are, who are running the bits of the BBC we all care about
0: Well that's up to a point, I, yes I do remember one particular controller of BBC 2 saying very uh, crossly that but uh, Mark Thompson had been against her buying a particular series. It was 24, because if it went wrong, you'd have all these episodes that would just go on and on and you'd be <laughs> proved wrong you know, every week. But there are, there are times when a director general does throw his weight behind things and wants changes, and and intends to make changes. I mean, Greg Dyke was a very good example of this, making sure that business, for example, was properly covered, and indeed it still is properly covered, or better covered than it was. So I don't buy that. I also think that you do have these big crises where it's all very well trying to delegate it down the line, and maybe under a new arrangement there would be more. Uh, there would be. Perhaps people are a bit more feistier lower down than the BBC, but still the Director-General has to make pronouncements on that. And if you are debating live events which are changing as you speak, you do have to know what you're talking about. So I don't think you're totally right there, Ollie.
2: The thing that does upset me is the lack of salary, stated salary. I mean, we've got every indication that it's going to be less than what Mark Thompson's on and it does say that there's no bonus doesn't it that it's a flat salary but why don't they just come out and say right it's it's 500 grand or whatever it is that's a lot of money and i think if if they're trying to readdress the criticism that they've had around paying the executives too much money they should be completely transparent about it right from the beginning just as they have by making this pdf public domain so that you can see what the job spec is they should say this is the salary this is what it is it's a public position take it or leave it well i think the salary may depend
1: on you know how many CVs they're getting by the 7th of may well yeah but that's
0: that's the other thing is, I mean, we have to remember that uh, there is a current salary structure in place below Thompson. Some of the people, there's very, the differentials, really being built into it as new people are appointed at lower rates. So already
1: between s- someone like Tim Davy and George Entwistle, for instance, yeah,
0: I, I agree. So therefore, I think that this is also paving the way towards an overall restructure. And remember something else: we're talking about the director general changing. What also happens in these circumstances down the line? is that a lot of people at the top change as well. So everybody who's thrown their hat into the ring may feel either obliged or required at some point to find a career elsewhere. So we are going to see quite a cultural change or, or shift in, in, in the, at the top of the BBC. I do hope whoever comes in institutes a better system of training senior managers at the BBC. It's gone into abeyance and, and almost sort of reversal over the past few years, and this is not a healthy thing for a great organisation like the BBC.
1: And as Greg Dyke said in The Telegraph about whoever gets the job next time, watch your back. He said there were people on the, even on the executive board who didn't want him to have the job from, from day one. Cheer. Another another challenge going forward. Well, plenty more of this, of course, on mediaguardian.co.uk. Uh, newspapers now, and there are plans to launch a new Sunday red top in their infancy at this stage. They're being considered by former Sunday Express editor Sue Douglas and ex-ITV executive Rupert Howell. Douglas has said it will be a reincarnation of the news of the world. Mischievous and exposing hypocrisy, but presumably without the phone hacking. Uh, Maggie, Early days, of course, but what did you make of this?
0: Very curious, is what I would say. Um, I mean, Sue Douglas was the uh, wife of Niall Ferguson, the the, 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 the now Harvard historian and, and Channel 4 history programme maker. Um, I know she's very, very keen on horses. I know that she had a bad fall off of one, and I know that in her career she also did uh, edit the Sunday Express. Um, I just find it quite... So she's obviously looking for a new role and a new... Uh, life. I hope you're um, not
2: suggesting by saying she likes horses that she's uh, going to be no, the next Rebecca Wade. Here. No, uh, well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you could say. I mean, I'm, I love horses too, and I'm not a new Rebecca Wade. Uh, what, what I, what I, what, what I, what I wonder though is the combination of these two people. Do they really know what they're talking about? Do they really know the popular uh, market? The Sunday Express isn't really the News of the World niche. At uh, Rupert, how uh, his last job really was uh, running the IT, ITV advertising and marketing side. Does he understand? Uh, what the vicious nature of newspapers and the, the, the advertising market is I, I, I find myself looking at this with um, a slight degree of astonishment but you know hey ho it, if it happens it's more jobs for journalists and we need them
1: Ollie, what do you think? A licence to lose money? or well, Probably.
2: You know, I'd really like it if it worked. I was a News of the World reader. I like a bit of smut on Sunday, but I really think the only person with the courage and the persistence and the commitment and the deep pockets to fund that is Murdoch, was Murdoch. He's got a Sunday paper. He's doing everything he can in that arena that doesn't resort to phone hacking and illegal practices, and it's a bit boring. And that's why
1: people are saying bring back the News of the World. But if you could, he would. Well, a bit boring, you say. Well, in terms of sales, yeah, the other news: of the world used to sell two point seven million. The Sun Sunday edition of the Sun sells two point two million. Maggie, it has sort of failed to to replicate that News of the World sort of magic. As it, I as don't. It it were. It,
0: of course, it has. I mean, I, I am a reader of John Sentamu's uh, column since he may be our new Archbishop. But um, no, it hasn't got that pizzazz. And in a way, it can't, can it? Because we now know how a lot of their stories seem yeah. to have been obtained. Uh, but clearly, it has. It has. I think 2.2 is a very credi- credible um, outcome. I, I wasn't expecting anything much above 2 million because of the fact that they'd taken away a, a much-loved title, a much-read title. And uh, there had been this awful gap in between. So I don't think it's a bad outcome.
1: Well Sue Douglas's firm is called Phoenix Newspapers, uh, but not everyone was impressed. Radio Gent on uh, Media Guardian said, These people must really think highly of themselves or are clearly mad or have very deep pockets. Sounds like a team name and task from The Apprentice. It is uh, a team name on the Apprentice. Is that right? Phoenix, the current was,
2: series, yeah.
1: It was the Phoenix. Did they? Did they win? Uh, I th- I'm, I'm challenging uh, I'm your not knowledge I sure, Can't remember. Sorry, don't know. Uh, well, I guess they can. They compete every week, don't they? So I'm showing my Apprentice ignorance here. But
0: again, it shows rising from the ashes, doesn't it? So that's really the the name.
2: If they know? were actually, if they were serious about this,
1: wouldn't they just buy one of the slightly
2: ailing Sunday tabloids that exist? I mean, is the people not for sale? If you ask the right people, really? I mean, you know, there's Probably a lot. Probably
0: of... not in the current circumstances.
2: Really. If you've got that kind of money, here's twenty five billion million, we want to set up a Sunday paper, why not inject it into one that actually exists that has readers already? But
0: the other thing about Sundays, standalones alones like um, long ago the news on Sunday, it, it, they don't work. You have to have them as part of an overall group. I mean, that's why The Observer is part of The, the Guardian. You could say it's still having financial problems, but it does need um, what you might call a big brother.
1: Technology now. And Instagram became Instagram or to be precise, Insta $1 billion, after it was bought by Facebook. Not bad for a company which is only 551 days old, but already has 30 million users uploading 5 million photos a day. Um, Ollie. Why has Facebook spent so much money on Instagram? Because they've got a lot of money swishing around at
2: the moment. They're going to be worth a lot, and a
1: billion to them is a bit of a drop
2: in the ocean. Um, and I think actually, partly to save face, I think um, to save Facebook, to save Facebook, very good, um, because mobile is is clearly the growing platform. Uh, it's got to the stage now, I think, where. Uh, If not next year, then the year after, Facebook are predicting that most of their access will be through phones, smartphones and tablets. Uh, So it's most important that if they want to stay the premier social network, that they have the premier photo network. Photos is the most popular thing to do on Facebook. There was just a slight danger that Instagram was coming along, and if they had the right technology and people on board, that they may have posed a bit more of a threat to facebook so why not just buy them if they'd done a clone you know if they'd got some people to build a site in india that did exactly the same thing and then integrated it into facebook everyone in silicon valley would have said they've stolen instagram's idea this way they're buying the people and as i say kind of saving face but i mean it's a ridiculous price to pay for something that has not just sort of you know not
1: created much of a profit it's literally generated no revenue ever and uh, and it's not only that, but it's uh, I mean it's not the only way of sharing photos like this, and it's not the first app that allows you to add. Um, slightly irritating visual effects to your pictures if <laughs> if, if you're. Uh, and you
0: can't use it uh, on on things like BlackBerry. I mean, it's only available on on smartphones, isn't it? On, on it's it on was Apple's. on iPhone. Yeah, the thirty iPhones. million
2: users as iPhones. They added a million users to Android just this week by launching on Android. I mean, it clearly, is a very fast growing platform. Uh, but yes, it's it's in relative terms in its infancy compared to the hundreds of millions of users that Facebook has, and that's why they've swooped in now. I think it's. Kind of analogous to Google buying YouTube when they did uh, for a similar sort of mo- amount of money. I think uh, at the time people said that was a ridiculous price to pay for something that was losing money uh, because video content is so expensive to run and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually, by keeping YouTube as a separate brand but owning it, they've you know they've dealt with some of that threat. And I think Facebook are intending to do a similar thing. Zuckerberg said on the blog, "I'm going to keep it running as a separate brand. You know, Instagram will be its own thing." And also, just one other thing people use Instagram on Twitter. Very often celebrities like Justin Bieber or world figures like Barack Obama
1: will tweet a picture that they've done through Instagram. That gives Facebook a hold on Twitter through the back door. And, well relating to that, there was a bit of a backlash already against Instagram because they've been bought up by uh, by Facebook. People no longer see it, it as the plucky underdog and the new kid on the block and yeah. say, I'm going to go and find myself a new uh, photo sharing app. Is that realistic or do people need to uh, <coughs> grow up a bit? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: there, there'll always be an alternative, but I mean, this isn't about what the geeks are doing. This is about saying, okay, this has got traction with enough people that this will be what my mom is doing in a few years' time, so let's get it now. Uh, so to be honest, I think it's neither hither nor thither for the Facebook uh, purchase, really. But, but
0: I mean, that is the problem with Facebook. that When people like me or my sister or whoever start actually looking up our children and seeing what they're doing I mean Facebook is getting older really and uh, I guess with Instagram you're actually injecting a new wave of um, you know enthusiastic users into into the whole service to me though it just seems like the real start of a bubble uh, which we saw really developing at the end of the 1990s and um, when you start seeing these kind of mad valuations for tiny companies that come out of Silicon Valley. You just wonder, really, where everything is headed.
2: It can be monetized further than it is. I mean, they can do prints, for example. They can be premium services that they're not doing. There can be advertising. But, yeah, there's a limit to that, isn't there? And, uh, you know, as as every digital company, including The Guardian, is finding out, there's only so much you can do with with advertising on a free site. It's not worth a billion dollars.
0: What I find astonishing, though, is that, actually, these new firms or these new creations, which are clearly worth a lot of money to some people. They all seem to be coming out of one area. You, 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 you can't imagine, however mighty China is, this kind of application coming out of uh, a country which basically doesn't support any kind of real free interchange and swapping of information. Now, there's a very dark side to all of that, the invasion of privacy, et etc. et cetera. But it is fascinating to see how this phenomenon keeps on coming again and again, and virtually all from the same sort of... Um, part of the the globe yeah
2: well Instagram is actually based in Twitter's old offices in That's San Francisco know that. as they literally in the same room uh, yeah I mean it's the new Hollywood isn't it
0: it is yes
1: well in other tech news Spotify have launched a play button stick with me it's more significant than it sounds uh Ollie what is it and why should I care about it uh, <laughs> I feel under real but pressure now to sell this to you The first part of that question may be
2: easier than the second <laughs> I suppose uh, what, well, okay, what it is, is it's an embedded music player Using Spotify So that music that's been uploaded to Spotify Can be shared on blogs and on any kind of website uh, Just by embedding a button In the same way that you embed a YouTube video Why is that important? Well, it's important because until now, the only way to legally stream royalty-free music was to go to YouTube or Spotify, but now you can do it from a blog, a blog like, say, Pop Justice, uh, which has been running for years, embedding YouTube videos. Now they can just embed the song, and after all, It is a blog about music. Um, So this is quite a liberating thing, really. It means you don't have to go to illegal uploads. You can make sure that the artists are being paid, albeit fractions of a penny, uh, for every time people are streaming it. Uh, And it's great news for Spotify because it's getting their brand out there and
1: ultimately advertising their premium service. So they want to become the operating system of music across the entire, well, across every platform. Yeah, they want to be YouTube for music. And do you have to what do you have to still sign up once you click on this uh, the play button? Do you have to be you have to be registered with Spotify to hear this music or? That's right. Yeah. And they have tried to
2: make it as easy as possible by allowing you to register with Facebook, but it does all kinds of evil things like tell your friends you know, the embarrassing
1: backstreet boys songs that you're listening to on your Facebook right, feed, well, so you've got to be very careful. No one wants that to happen. <laughs> uh but someone on the media site, Media Guardian site, said it was just a glorified link in one sense. Is that fair or is it um it is Grander fair than that it is fair, but that 's not to say it 's not significant because it is being done with the
2: corporation of, of the of the record labels and, and that 's a huge step. There are still going to be critics out there though who will point out that Uh, As a minor record label or as an artist who has uh, effectively a one-hit wonder, you know, one song that everyone wants to listen to but not an album's worth that people are then going to buy, you are generating pennies rather than pounds. And I do think we're going to see the phenomenon that we saw with Coldplay last year where they had their big release album that is now on Spotify but for the first four or five weeks wasn't. We're going to see a situation where artists are like, you know what? I don't want this on Spotify. I want to I want when we've got the real demand behind it, people to be paying proper money for it and then it can go on to Spotify and this might accelerate that process. I think you might see some big artists deserting Spotify
1: for the first few weeks window of a new release. And Ollie, how is Spotify faring in the in the music streaming wars? There's no shortage of competition out there. There isn't, but I mean, they're massive, Uh, certainly in the UK
2: and Europe. uh, Really, their only competitors here are are people like SoundCloud and Mixcloud, which uh, are British companies. So it's kind of a shame that Spotify is thrashing them. But the the bottom line is they have access to a bigger range of music libraries and they provide a sort of smoother service, really. Um, In America, there is uh, Pandora still, which has been lingering around for about 10 years. But but growingly, people are, are checking out Spotify. I mean, what's very clever is they keep innovating and adding new services that are encouraging people, whether it's apps, or embedding themselves on TiVo boxes to spend the £10 a month. Uh, and, you know, that's, of course, the real business model is getting as many
1: of those users as possible to fork out for the premium service. I'm a big fan of some of those apps. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of sort of uh, flicking through the, the gatefold sleeve in the olden days, whereas now you can, uh, you can read exhaustively about the, the, what the music you're listening to.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing that they've cracked brilliantly is the playlist function i mean you know it, teenagers forever and a day have been interested in in swapping mixtapes and that's basically what it is you can put up on facebook what you've been listening to and your friends will check it out and that, that is a very appealing concept and what's brilliant about it is, is just
1: plug and play from technology to television and we're delighted to welcome vicky frost to the pod hello Good to see you, Vicky. Uh, now, two big moves in TV this week. Later, Britain's Got Talent. But let's start with everyone's favourite television breakfast show. Well, let's be honest, there aren't too many to choose from. BBC One's Breakfast, which upped sticks to Salford and debuted from its new home on Tuesday. Was it a was it an eggs and bacon triumph or a, a bit of a, a Cheerios mishmash? Um,
3: I, don't, I don't know. Don't I'm know what that means. Yeah, you no. carry on. Um, it was uh, it was quite an odd thing actually. So they started um, from Salford on Tuesday, and so I got out of bre- bed to watch. I watched the whole of it, which right. I would never advise anyone to do because it's appalling if you watch it for a whole three and a half hours.
1: They'll put that on the DVD box when it comes out. <laughs> it's appalling.
3: It's appalling if you. It, but it, I mean, you know, nobody should watch breakfast TV for that long, basically. Um, and they seem to be doing just their hard. their damnedest not to mention the fact that they'd moved to Salford. It was hilarious. There was sort of like a like a one thing sort of saying oh and we should welcome you to our new studios in Salford and then we moved on and so it seemed like they were just they were desperately trying to not make a big deal out of it. Um, which is slightly fair enough. I mean, they have just moved to a different part of the country. Uh, the north is not some barren wasteland where nobody, you know, knows anything about the media. Well,
1: that's the problem with. It. I mean, Ollie, I think if you make too much of the move, then people complain it's too, you know, northwest centric. But if you don't mention it at all, people say, well, what's the point of moving? So it's a between a rock and a hard place,
2: or. Yeah, and also people. Once you alert people to the fact that you, the man in the street who may not have realised yet that the BBC has moved, you are also alerting them to the technical difficulties that are inevitable with down the line interviews. Um, and you know, once you start noticing it that there's a bit of a delay, or that someone's on a bit late, or that they're not quite looking as well as, as good as they should, you really start noticing it. So I wonder if the
1: strategy is to wait a month till everything's running a bit smoother and then start saying we're in Salford. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maggie, that's a big issue, isn't it? I mean, guests is a big issue. Like we say, Manchester, is not very far away at all. But. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, As Five Live have found, you know, it can be difficult.
0: Well, up to a point. I mean, I've been watching, and I mean, I saw Alexandra Shulman, the editor of Vogue, uh, on the couch. Um, She'd come up from London. I mean, she has a novel to promote, so she she was very keen to promote it. And she did a very good interview. The problem is more with politicians. I mean, once they start having to do the Newsnight thing and turn around to Nick Clegg, as they did on screen, that that is a bit of a problem. The whole thing about Breakfast, though, is that you're not, nobody watches it because they're, watches it full time or concentrates because they're moving in and out. So, you actually want a quick fix. You want to know about the weather, which they do pretty competently on the show. And, and then you want the news. And then if there are bits in between which are interesting, you might watch or might not watch. And that's just how it is. I don't think the format of the show had changed at all, really. And I don't think it will. There will be, there, there are bookings that, I mean, they had Connie Fisher, for example, who's in a show. Uh, I think it's in Liverpool. So, there, there will be a trending towards uh, Northwest uh, avail- available. Stars, I'm sure about that. They they
3: did, yes, they did. On Tuesday they had um, quite a lot... Actually, it got to quite late in the programme before they had anybody... Uh, at all, who wasn't from the northwest as a guest, and um, and then I think on Wednesday they had uh, more northwest. Uh, I mean, this is no bad thing. I'm from the northwest. I like to see northwest guests, but you're right. I mean, I think they were very careful on that first uh, broadcast not to have to do anything down the line, so that you know you didn't have to have that awkward thing of them turning around and the, the big screen. And I do think it looks really weird on breakfast. Actually, I don't think it quite works to be honest remember,
0: you know one of the great things about breakfast has been that or certainly GMTV's old days the prime minister would pop in to you know have a little word with with the nation's housewives and that has to be from a couch otherwise it's just not going to work and you have to wonder how often that is going to happen and how desperate a prime minister or would-be prime minister is going to be to actually woo people okay
1: well another show that's on the move is Britain's Got Talent uh, which famously went head-to-head against BBC One's The Voice Uh, But from uh, next Saturday, I think the 21st of April, it's going back in the schedule and avoiding any sort of overlap whatsoever after it was beaten in the ratings by the BBC One show. So, um, Vicky, the the white flag going up over Cowell Towers.
3: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I, I think that standoff was just brilliant anyway. You know, it was all that build up to it. And then to move it back, I mean... It it does make it fairly late for a family audience as well. Just going to
1: half past eight, it won't end till quarter to ten.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's basically too late for a family audience, really. If you've got sort of younger kids, you don't really want them up that late. But then I think, in terms of consolidated figures, they've already seen that people have been, uh, you know, recording it and then watching it later anyway. They've had a lot of later. So maybe that they just think, well, that's happening anyway. We won't fight it. But I mean, yeah, it is a white flag, absolutely.
1: Um, and Ollie, I think people have been surprised by the success of The Voice. It did well in the States, but, uh, you know, it's getting 9, 10 million viewers now for a, for a brand new show and for a, for a new entertainment show. I mean, that's they're extraordinary figures. They are. I, I do think a lot
2: of it was caused, in fact, entirely by Simon Cowell making such a big fuss about this <laughs> in the press and by ITV putting Britain's Got Talent up against them because... Cowell's The, the Voice's secret weapon. Mm, yeah, Because, yeah. I mean, you know, they were promoting The Voice on BBC One in promos and they had some big stars, Tom Jones and Jesse J and stuff, but actually... For the man in the street, who wouldn't be listening to Danny Cohen on the Media Talk podcast, uh, the, yeah. the the way they found out that The Voice was coming was that there was this big rival to Britain's Got Talent. I think it's a, a massive tactical error in retrospect.
3: Although Britain's Got Talent has been rating quite well. Out, I mean, even though it's not rating as well as The Voice, it's possibly rating better than it could have hoped for. You know, it's had a bit of a resurgence of the whole back. Everyone wins, effectively, a little bit.
1: Maggie, you're a, you're a voice fan, or you think we hear you're a fan of one of the judges in particular.
0: Well, I, I'm really interested in Will I Am, uh, the, the American uh, star that they've brought over, and I'm feeling a little bit sorry for Sir Tom Jones because uh, he's sort of being spurned by certainly the younger, uh, 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 good voices who, who when they're given a choice of judges, or, to, or we're supposed to say aren't we mentors or whatever they coaches. are, coaches. Coaches. Sorry, yeah. they, they they all go, they all go for Will I Am. No, I think it's wonderful to have um, an American star who. Uh, also is a great campaigner for Barack Obama I wonder if the BBC are happy with that but I mean he is um, and uh, I, I welcome it I think it's a breath of fresh air to be honest I know that's an odd thing to associate with him but that's what I think and I, Danny um, Cohen's the man
1: who can do no wrong at the moment called the midwife and because uh, BBC have tried to do singing shows on Saturday nights before um, Yes, I am surprised with John it's done so well. and, uh, I think it
0: may have a bit of a lull now because the interesting thing is when they're turning their chairs now we've got the coaching and, and what's happened with the shows in other territories is that it goes into a sort of u-shape now and then it kind of climbs up again so we'll have to see if they can counter that the other thing i would say is i actually have been watching uh, britain's got talent and there have been some really good acts it's on good, it the pensioner it? did anybody see the pensioners it was absolutely the hilarious zimmers. that yes the zimmers they started you know what the world needs now is love 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 and then they go into this rapping group of pensioners and and what really was very very funny so you know if you like, i don't i actually don't particularly like talent shows but i do my duty and i watch them David David Williams is
3: great on it as well. I mean, I think he's been a real, a really important sort of extra for Got Talent, and of course, Cal coming back. But that sort of really helped the show. I think. I do think. I do think it would be interesting to see whether the voice can maintain its ratings. Sort of after these, after after these sort of audition rounds. Although given how long they are, you know, with no ad- advertisements in them, at all they're astonishingly long, the fact that the audience is sticking through those makes me think they'll stick through anything. To be quite honest.
1: And how's Alicia Dixon doing on uh, BGT? I wasn't sure. The, the the few early ones I saw, I wasn't wasn't convinced of of her role yet. Apart from sort of turning to her left and staring at Simon Cowell looking slightly shocked. She looks Maggie? nice,
2: doesn't she? That's what she's there for, really. Sounds awful, Steady but honestly, olly. that is that really, you know. I mean, uh, Amanda Holden has a lot more personality and opinion than, than Alicia Dixon does. She's there to be the totty, isn't she? Which
1: she's doing very well. Vicky, I think you'd like to come back on that.
3: <laughs> well, well, I'd sort of like to argue with it, apart from I think that probably is how she's been cast, you know, unfortunately. But you're well, right, we- you're
2: right about Williams. He is. I mean, he's he's like the embodiment of Britain's Got Talent, isn't he? He's, he's end brilliant. of the pier, kind of quirky, British, you know, camp. Just he's just he's You'd miss him more, actually, if he left now than Carol, I think.
3: He, he's fantastic for it. He gets it. He totally gets what an audience at home is thinking. And he's got enough fun to be able to go with things and it not seem to be too contrived. I, I think he's brilliant on it.
1: And Vicky, the first in the, an occasional series, which probably won't return, if you only watch one thing on the box this week, what should it be?
3: I think it should be Homeland, actually, which is starting to kind of wind up towards its end game now. So uh, I think we're on episode nine this Sunday of 12. And it's getting really exciting. I don't want to give out loads of spoilers. But you know, like last week's episode, the end of last week's episodes was just brilliant to me. And I watched it at my desk and did audible gasps.
1: <laughs> I can confirm this. <laughs>
3: yeah. And... I just think it's really on its game. It's great television. That lovely sort of hour chunk of Homeland is just exactly what you want on a Sunday evening. It was a really good buy for Channel 4. Very clever. And... I'm very pleased. Oh, and I think they've just got a second series in the states. I think that was announced this week. So there is more of it to come, which I'm even more excited about. And I hope it stays on Channel and, Four. And do
2: you know without ruining anything about what happens in this series? Please, I'm not going to even give you eye contact in case you do. Do you know whether Damian Lewis is going to be in the second series? Because I'm thinking, where did they go with that?
1: Well, I can confirm he announced on Graham Norton show whether he'll be in it or not. But uh, <clears throat> possibly you don't want to know that. Okay, so fine. Right. Okay, stop. Enough already. Yeah, oh, no. tell you what, i what. Homeland. I do like Homeland, but what bugs me? They should do a more four spin-off show saying Homeland: The Plots That Time Forgot, <laughs> uh, because there were several. Uh, at one point um, they were investigating the mole and then suddenly they couldn't be bothered to carry on with that and at one point one of um Claire Danger's character's colleagues was going to thought oh, she was yeah. dubious and started spying on her for about about 15 minutes and that's gone by the by you know
3: and and also sort of her uh, whether she needs her pills or not seems yeah. to how important that is seems to depend on which writer is doing which episode it feels a little bit I mean it's not perfect TV by any stretch of the imagination really
0: because they also drink Yorkshire Gold and I have discovered <laughs> Yorkshire Gold long before <laughs> Homeland and so I wait for the plug every every episode and <laughs> well,
1: you a double Asian Maggie <laughs> I mean, I was no, I'm not. <laughs> um, but it is it is yes, despite the occasional flaw it's great TV.
3: Yes, not perfect but really very watchable and um, and Claire Danes is great in it. It's really good to see her on TV being brilliant. I you know that just makes my weekend really.
1: Well, my thanks to Vicky Ollie and Maggie. You don't have to have a two syllable name ending in e to appear in the podcast, but it helps. You can leave your feedback on anything and indeed everything you've heard on the Media Talk blog or our Facebook wall. I'm Johnny Plunkett. And Media Talk was produced by Jason Phipps. I'll be back next week when I hope our place in the schedule will remain resolutely untouched. Thanks for listening. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one month, no commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. For
0: more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.